0: And we are back. Thank you for joining us for another session of the dots, the daily dots. Again, just trying to, you know, just trying to memorialize, if you will, or just and, and, and document, uh, the historic time that we believe that we are in. As always, joined with my Zara research, Chase Taylor, the real brains of the operation. Um, so little market summary here. S&P down 0.63 on the day, 27.5 points. Dow was down 161 points or 0.48%. Nasdaq down 0.64% or 87 points. Um yeah, I I I was market was kind of all over the place. The big divergent one here is Russell 2000 was down 2.2. You know Chase, before we get into the news, um and we can get into the we can get into the I don't really so much want to get into the economic reality part of uh, of this discussion that I'm about to bring up but um as this has gone on over the last year and a half one of the things that's interesting to me is the divergence in how these indexes move seems to be getting wider and wider and wider um, I think there are some obvious answers to that. We were talking about it, which, um, I will say this right now. And now that I'm saying it, it's probably time to short this stuff. <laughs> right. But, um, when I look at, I've had several clients ask why we still own, we only own two of the Magnificent Seven at this point right now. Um, but we are look, looking to buy them at cheaper prices, um, um, you know, when we can. And I've had clients ask about that, Zach, it's overpriced, you know, and I go, look, first of all, a lot of those magnificent sevens, well, specifically the ones we own, they're not cheap, but they're not crazy expensive, especially when you look at other things in the market. The other side of it is they're monopolies. Like, let's just call it what it is, right? They're monopolies. And you can make the argument that higher rates are beneficial for them. Why? They're sitting on hundreds of billions of dollars, right? Like Chase, you were just t- p- pointing out, you know, what is Apple throwing off like $35 billion in profit a year?
1: Yeah, I have to look to get the actual number, but it, it's something very substantial and they have like a giant pile of treasuries the same way, you know, Google and Microsoft do.
0: Yeah, well, so I'm just sitting there, you think about it and – You know, one of the reasons that their stock has probably been persistent, I probably have not been open enough to this idea up to this point, but one of the reasons there's, so let's say their earnings take a 15% hit. They're making more than that on interest on their money.
1: Yeah, I think over the last year, the, the combined interest income for the Magnificent Seven was just under $5 billion, just interest income.
0: Well, when you look at Apple… Rates are higher
1: now than they were, you know, well, look back at year. Well, I
0: mean, what is Apple sitting on? Something like $250 billion? I mean, right, so you just short-term rates, 2 years. you could see a scenario where their earnings drop 20% and their net income rises. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you do the math, right? 5%. I mean, they're probably not going to invest all of that. Well, actually, they would, right? Whatever that cash hoard is at total… You would expect the vast majority of that cash to be sitting in short term treasuries.
1: And plus, you think about all their debt, most of their debts are locked in and, you know, multiple years out in the future. So, and they got absurdly good yields on that stuff.
0: Yeah. Like yeah.
1: Apple's treated like a treasury. So,
0: yeah. Well, I was, I haven't checked at their bond, I haven't looked at their bonds lately, but I bet you their bonds really haven't taken much of a hit.
1: Yeah. I'm sure they just kind of moved up along with treasuries and that's about it.
0: Yeah. Anyway, um, so definitely, you know, I, I honestly believe that, that, Uh, And I would exclude Tesla from this comment, and I would largely exclude NVIDIA from the comment as well. But I think the other big boys, um, I think that they're at a point where their only threat literally is legislation. I just—they've got so much cash. They are so big, and they are fully aware of the mistakes that other monopolies have made in the past, right? Like allowing competition to to sneak its face in. And you know, we've seen what they'll do, right? They identify competition, they just buy it. Yep. Right? I mean, that's just—they're not going to make that same mistake. And until they're until they are addressed legislatively, I don't see anything
1: changing. And as we've seen with Microsoft and OpenAI, I think they're even getting smart enough to like they realize if they go buy open ai like that that might get the attention of the regulators so so they instead just become a significant investor yeah so like the chances of someone coming after you for that is much lower so you may see that a new wave of that like just buy a good chunk of a bunch of vc backed companies but don't actually you know bring them under your, you know in under your wing
0: yeah 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 i i think you'll see all kinds of creative things and and yeah, it'll be fascinating to see. Though, I, 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 mean, look, I could be wrong. I just look at those companies, and they've got balance sheets better than a lot of <laughs> small countries. Yeah, um, they've probably got more political and, and international influence than a lot of countries do. And, um, you know, I personally believe that something needs to be done on a legislative matter, just because I think they've gotten too big. But, yeah, bottom line, I think it's fair. Yeah, um, but will something happen? I don't know. And, and I, I don't see anything happening in the immediate future. And the reason why they got their hands in every bloody politician's pockets.
1: Plus just geopolitically, like they're, they're kind of the best thing we have going. Like, yeah, we need them to like, keep us ahead of everyone else in a lot of different areas. Uh, you know, think about AI or quantum computing or all all the stuff that ties into defense. That's dual use. Like we need them to be awesome. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. That's, that's one of the things that we were just talking about, and this is not an investment suggestion whatsoever, but uh, I mean, pretty pretty decent pairs trade. looks like short the Russell 2000, long the Qs.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of us got carried away with like, oh, tech's going to be in big trouble here because they're long duration whenever rates go up. But the, the reality is, you know, they termed out their debt financing and they have a bunch of cash. And you look at the Russell, where 30% of the Russell's at floating rate debt so in reality, like they're the ones that get, that get hammered by you know rate hikes. Now, obviously, with the long end starting to pick up, like that can maybe start to hurt tech in some ways. But well, I think not the big, not the big guys.
0: No, you got to bifurcate tech,
1: right? Yeah. So even there, like you look at uh, the Nasdaq versus Nasdaq equal weight, or just you know the Magnificent Seven versus equal weight. The blowout there is just as big as it is, you know, versus equal weight S and P or whatever. However, you want to look at it. So, like, even the NASDAQ that's not the Magnificent Seven is having a, a rough year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's there. And, and yeah. So, I think a lot of those higher priced, like, think of like a Shopify, right? Even a Tesla, right? I, I, I do think those things
1: are going to continue to struggle. Right. Or look, look at Arc. Arc got creamed today. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of down there with, with the Russell. So, like, that's all tech stuff for the most part, but it's the kind that, Needs financing. Yeah, if,
0: if. yeah. The only, the only one of, well, the only two in that magnificent seven that don't make any sense to me are Nvidia and Tesla. Those are completely different conversations. Yeah, those are not monopolies. And as a matter of fact, you're watching Nvidia. The chip competition is coming in, and it's coming in fast. For now, for,
1: for now, I would say the AI chips are a monopoly for them. But who knows how long that yeah that will be the case.
0: Yeah. Well, and it, and what's other? What the other thing I think is funny is you're hearing the overtures that you and I were talking about, which is, hey guys, if this AI thing is as big as we think it will be, right? I, I think the market's being premature and a little unrealistic about how big it's going to be, how quick, right? Like in terms of the time frame. Um, but we'll see. I've, I've been wrong before. Um, but it, it it at the same time, you're starting to see more and more talk about what you and I were saying, which was who is going to be NVIDIA's biggest clients, right? Theoretically, it's big tech, right? If you think they're going to sit back and build a financial empire for NVIDIA, it's just not going to happen, right? And you're hearing increasing talks about them developing their own chips, uh, Facebook has been talking about it recently. Google has been talking about it more frequently, talking about repurposing their existing chip. That's actually better than NVIDIA's in certain applications. You're hearing just a lot of this chatter and it's just of no surprise to me. Like, you know, it, it's kind of the age old argument. It's a weird one to have right now. Cause you've seen some exceptions with it, but you know, the most mean reverting data set in the world are margins, right? Uh, I think that was Jeremy Grantham that coined that, that phrase. And, um, I I just we, we, <laughs> if they're going to make that much money, right? Other companies with the cash and capability of developing their own chip, you got to you better believe they're going to do it too.
1: Yeah, of course. Plus right. I, to me I, we some we talked about TSMC that actually builds the chips for them and they don't get that much money from it. So to me like I found TSMC I'm like cool, we'll keep doing this but we want more we want we want a bigger piece of this this action that you guys are making. So at some point I wouldn't suspect that too, so they're probably going to get hit from both sides,
0: yeah i yeah, I would strongly suggest it now, that being said, in this marketplace, I would be surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked if Nvidia doubled from here before the market figured that out,
1: yeah, of course,
0: like you and I just said, you know i I again this and this and, and just so people know, this doesn't mean that I'm saying that a crash is imminent or coming or it's going to be a depression or anything like that. I'm just saying when you're navigating a market that doesn't care about traditional fundamental metrics, you just you need to acknowledge it. You can fight it if you want to. What do we call that, Chase? When you're when you're fighting economic reality for idealistic
1: reasons. I assume you're talking about the financial justice warriors <laughs> <Yeah>. there. <laughs>
0: that that is my that is my that was one of my favorite terms, man. And I just the minute I heard that I died laughing because at the time I considered myself a recovering financial justice warrior. You know, I,
1: I think a lot of us have made that mistake early in our careers. The reason I know that, coin that phrase is because I know it well because I lived it. So,
0: Yep, yeah. And if, for those of you at home, what we mean is, especially when you're new to investing, there tends to be a, there, there's a tendency, especially if you're more passionate and the more educated you are about it, there's a tendency to look at things and go, well, this is the way things should be. And then you you get older and you spend more time managing money and more time in markets and you go, well, it should be, but it's not.
1: Yeah, I think people, it was almost like a righteousness where you're like, this is what should happen. This is what's fair. This is the way, you know, these people should be punished for doing this and these people should be rewarded for doing this. And, but, but that's just not how any of this works.
0: Nope. No unfortunately not. So anyway, what else, what other outside of that we've talked about rates what, what it, I wasn't even keeping a rates got went up again today, right based on the inflation report. Oh, yeah. So run us run us through the inflation report, what you saw different aspects of it, impacts it's had on rates and, and news that we had out today.
1: So I, on the rate side, first of all, the long end was up in the teens um, like 16, 17 basis points for the 30 year so big big move up. A lot of that was, uh, there was a bad 30-year 30, 30 auction. So um, I think it was like a three or four basis point tail, meaning that you know the difference in the yield before and after the auction was that big. Um, the, the percentage of the bonds sold at the auction that had to get taken by primary dealers was the highest of the year, which tells you the demand was a little low. And then the bid-to-cover ratio, same thing, lowest of the year or tied for the lowest of the year. So same thing where um it, it just kind of makes it clear supply and demand for those um extended duration bonds are it's pretty ugly so worst worst auction of the year um for the 30 year and that was not taken kindly by the market um yields did move up a little bit on on inflation i i couldn't tell you why honestly you you, you look under the hood on the inflation prints um and to, to me nothing's really changed i don't think the fed's going to care about this at all um the headline inflation was 0.1 higher than people expected. And really that was just because shelter went up. Like shelter's kind of been slowly gliding down and it kind of had a little one month pop higher, which I can't even explain to you. Um, But if you look at inflation, really, uh, it it truly is just shelter at this point. Um, Core inflation has gone from 6.5 down to 4.1. And out of that 4.1% that core inflation is at right now, a full 3% of that is shelter. So if you take out shelter, you're at one po- you know, 1% know, inflation, which is not just at Target, but below Target. Um, if you take SuperCore, which is basically that, you strip out housing, uh, energy and food. And I know people like to make fun of that, but it truly is a useful way of looking at it. The three-month annualized version of that to get a feel for what it's been doing for the last quarter, 1.14%. So inflation is still totally fine. It's totally going back down. It's just the lagging shelter data that's making it look like it's still something. Um, but with that, you, you still have the two year yield up like eight basis points today. So people definitely looked at that inflation print and thought, Oh, when in reality, I still think the fed's going to look at that, look at what's going on in the long bond, which is tightening for them. And they're still going to pause. Um, they may, they're not going to tell you that they're pausing, Directly, But I think next week, Jay Powell will let us know without being super explicit about it, like that they're done.
0: Yeah, all that makes sense. I, when, I, I would love to see a model when you're looking at the entire – when I look at the economy today and I see the GDP numbers coming out and then I look at activity and all these different things um I, it leads me to believe i mean it's i i still it's kind of like the frog in water type deal i just i don't think most people appreciate what a 2 trillion dollar deficit means but how how big of an impact would you say that, that deficit is having on positive gdp prints still to this point
1: most of it i mean especially nominal gdp like it's it's difficult to have that big of a deficit and have Low nominal GDP. I, I even catch myself with this where I I think nominal GDP is going to be you know around four next year, maybe lower. But then I look at that you know I look at that uh, deficit and it's like whew, it's it's hard to get down you know to four or under whenever you're running a six to ten percent budget deficit. And not not to mention that, but if we go into to a significant slowdown or recession, then that that just you blow out the deficit that much more. So there's a very decent chance you go into a recession next year then the deficit blows out to like 15 percent um and they already are struggling to sell 30-year bonds and this is all before japan even raises rates and it looks like japan probably raises rates next year so the last anchor for fixed income in the world gets pulled up and japan sets sail on a hiking cycle next year very possibly um even if that's just to take it up to like Fifty basis points or something from negative. That's still that's a pretty big headwind for for Treasuries. Just like the pure supply and demand and the issuance and the giant um, deficits are. It bottom line is the Fed has to get back in there and buy this stuff because there's too much of it. Um, they just don't have the cover to do that yet. But something te- tells me they'll find a way next year.
0: Now, when you talk about four percent nominal, that's not your. That's not what you're projecting for next year, is
1: it? No, it is. I, I think I think nominal GDP, which has been. You know, it was up in up in the double digits last year and, and right right now is at about uh six ish. Um I a little over six probably for the third quarter, but I, I think that should be back under four. But a lot of that's because I think inflation is 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 at least for a little bit going back to the twos. Um, and I think so if you have two percent inflation and two percent real growth.
0: Which that ain't is, a recession, is above, which trend. is above
1: trend. That ain't a recession, buddy. That's four. So if you do have a recession, then you're you're running call it nominal GDP of, you know, 1% flat whatever. But it's hard to do that when when you're running giant deficits that's shoving a lot of money in the economy. It is it is. That requires a, a significant amount of bank stress and, and stuff. But.
0: I, we, this this continues to get more perverse because I'm still a big believer that a recession is coming. And I think it's going to show up in the first half of next year, which means I'm probably early. It'll be more likely second half.
1: I've been and, early for a year, so don't forget. Yeah.
0: Well, and the, and the other thing is I still think the odds are much higher that this thing hits a literal brick wall and falls really quickly based on what's going on. Um, but – at the same time, I do recognize it. it – it is very odd though. We're at a strange place and it seems to have compounded. It's kind of like the divergence between the indexes in the sense that the further we go down this path, horrific news and very bad things as it relates to the future are turning out to be positive for markets, right? Like – record government deficit like everybody's like oh we're not going into recession you're like yeah but the reason we're not going into recession is because we are spending ourselves into oblivion right i it's just bizarre how this horrific future news right horrific might be a little bit hyperbolic but these these things that are not good right and and this is one of the reasons why you know and i can say loudly that you know, we believe you and I, unless you've changed this morning, you and I do believe we're going into recession. And it's heading there. But we've also said, look, it's not going to block out the perma bears. It's not going to be some horrific recession. Why? We've already gone down the rabbit hole, man. Like if it gets bad, they will do whatever. You know, they, it's just we've broken the seal, man. Like they're going to cut rates. They're going to run quantitative easing again they will resort to fiscal. I, I think it would take more for them to launch fiscal again exactly, because of yeah. what's
1: happened over the last two to three years, but it will take more to do it all. But when things get ugly enough, you, you don't get it. They'll especially do it. Especially monetary because to the feds credit, Hey, at least they finally have some bullets in the gun unlike the last 20 years. So they will, I'm sure be able to fire them, especially on the QE side. Cause that's just literally, it's just math on the, on how many treasuries there are. The fact that the feds got to buy a bunch. It's it, I challenge anyone to tell me how we can get by without the Fed buying a bunch of Treasuries in the next call it five years because I I don't get it.
0: Well, I look who's got a napkin big enough to soak up that liquidity, right? You're, yeah, exactly. You're, you're you're throwing out over two trillion in new debt per
1: year, unless and, and, and like you know, aliens come from another planet and they're like, hey, we want some Treasuries. Which, hey, you never know.
0: Man, if that's if that's our if that's our <laughs> if that's our bull thesis we're we're really stretched man anyway um <clears throat> that's about it i
1: go ahead go ahead one one more thing i i, I want to talk about nat gas a little bit because the storage report came out for nat gas today it it was the 14th of the last 15th week that we had a beat on on gas storage where it was was a little better than expected and i think today might be the first day that i felt like the market actually started to respect that. Um, we were way higher on inventories than the five-year average. And all of a sudden, we just keep creeping back closer to the five-year average, but we're still not priced like it. We're still priced like um, we have more than enough gas. And this is even a bigger situation to me in Europe. Um, so Nat gas kind of broke out a little bit today. If you push out, you know, at least six months, preferably more like a year, um, for, for me anyway, um, looking at those contracts. So gas kind of broke out and then, if you look at Europe, I mean, we had the sabotage. Uh, it looks like of a, a gas pipeline going from uh, Estonia to Finland. So that that kind of hit, hits there. Uh, Israel is sending less to Egypt, which means they're going to do less LNG exports. So, like, there's all these little fragilities in in Europe's um, natural gas situation. Which, you know, here in October, when they're like 98 percent full in gas, it doesn't look like that big a deal, but Two months from now, if you get a nasty couple cold fronts, all of a sudden that number is ugly and natural gas in <laughs> Europe is very expensive.
0: Well, I, I think I think you make a great point. And I also think that people, uh, especially that aren't in the professional investing world, I really don't think that they appreciate how changes at the margins can violently impact both oil and natural gas.
1: Exactly. That's the beauty of commodities is that is small, small shifts – um, can make just a, a really big difference,
0: and 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 the reason for that, guys, is it's pretty simple to understand. Honestly, um, if if so, to use an analogy, in the in the in the financial crisis, oil went from a high of one forty seven down to thirty five dollars a barrel, right? Um, at the depths of that recession, U.S. oil consumption dropped four percent. Right So a four percent now, that's just U.S. It, it, that was a pretty good estimate. There are places around the world where it dropped more, dropped less, all that kind of stuff. But it gives you an idea of how little changes. four percent can take the price of oil from 120 down to 50, right? The flip side is also true, right? Because if you need a hundred barrels of oil and you can only get 95, how much are you willing to pay for that other fifth, that other five? Right, if you absolutely have to have them to run power plants, to heat your house, to drive cars, right? You will pay whatever it takes. Right? And so that's why when you look at things like natural gas that heat homes and buildings and run factories, when you look at oil that is needed to fly planes and drive cars, when you get a little marginal imbalance, it can have a massive impact on the on the on the price of the underlying commodity.
1: Right? Yeah, I mean, natural gas. The perfect example is this week. A natural gas in Europe is up thirty-five percent this week. This week they had, they did have like three catalysts hit. But remember, like they're they're almost literally one hundred percent full in storage, to the point where some people were predicting here in October you might have negative prices on gas in Europe. But instead, we're up thirty-five percent because you had uh, LNG workers in Australia go back on strike, and then you had those disruptions I mentioned. They're kind of tied to the war. So like just a couple little minor tweaks on what looks like could be supply over the next couple of months. And then boom, you're up 35% despite being chock full of gas at the moment.
0: I, I should have known that was going to happen, right? Oil flips negative negative once, And now the new downside for every
1: commodity yeah, is right, negative yeah. prices, right? As soon as people started talking about that, I was like, I need to get some of that.
0: Yep. Yep. God dang. You know, I think about that and we took advantage of it. We bought some stuff and we yep. took advantage of it, but I, I didn't, well, I'm talking about another one. we, 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 we we added to long nat gas positions last week, didn't we?
1: We did. We yeah. You know, we bought some uh, one one particular stock last week, and then we did, did another one today to kind of capture the the European aspect of this. But I, I'm thinking back to when oil went negative 38,
0: and we we didn't buy nearly as heavily as we should, but we did start buying up oil companies. A couple clients called freaking out. You're buying oil companies? Why would you be doing that? And I'm like oil's negative thirty eight if it's at the bottom, it's got to be close yeah, right? <laughs> I,
1: that's yeah, I think we had just started to kind of working together at that point, yeah, and that was for me i I had already been buying for months, but when it went negative, I was just like, all right, this is just like an all in moment for me
0: yeah yeah you you loaded up the truck, but I <laughs>
1: i don't think if you're not going to then i don't know when you know right how view it
0: right but you're also you, you're
1: vo- gas when it was two bucks like i don't know like
0: yeah yeah but your tolerance for volatility that's ain't exactly yeah. suitable for a retirement portfolio
1: that, oh no 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 we,
0: yeah. we've i've had to i've had to teach chase i've had to water down the plays a little bit that's for sure yeah well and you and i both work the same i mean my stomach for volatility is through the roof I just know that my clients are.
1: <laughs> That's like you said. That is not. as not for retirements. That's
0: no, no. That is that is for degenerate traders. Uh, not degenerate. Just you know,
1: degenerate not the right uh, word. I'll take it. I'm I'm, I'm a degenerate.
0: <laughs> well, you just get to a point where you see value, and when you're not responsible to report your P&L to somebody else. Exactly. Your attitude's like, hey, I'll ride this as long as I have to. I don't care.
1: Right. It, you know? If there's 20 bucks in the corner, just a bag of money or whatever, like I'm, I'm going to pick it up.
0: Yeah. And if yeah. you tell
1: me I can't cash the check for five years, that's fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll still be patient. Anyway, all right. That's about it, right? You got, got anything else for the folks? That's it. All right, guys. Well, uh, what about tomorrow? Do we have any news
1: coming out tomorrow? Uh, nothing, nothing too big tomorrow. Um, UMich stuff comes out for like consumer sentiment.
0: University of Michigan service yeah. is what it means. Uh, well, there's like one. Well, of, we got Powell oh, speaking next week. Data. Yep. I we, would I be wrong to say I, I think between now and when Powell speaks next week, I, I doubt there's. I would doubt there's going to be a serious bout of volatility. I, I would think markets are going to chill and kind of bounce back and forth until ta- Powell speaks. What do you
1: think? Yeah, it's going to be more of a digesting this week since we had you know really big important data with inflation, and then obviously at the end of last week with the jobs report. So we got yeah import export prices and stuff um friday as well and then next monday we'll have empire manufacturing um that's that's really it so pretty 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 quiet until middle of next week
0: all right man well i appreciate it and thank you guys for joining us today as always you can get the daily dots every single day no paywall no charge just by subscribing to Know Your Risk Radio podcast, which you can find on any podcast Stitcher, Apple iPod, all that kind of stuff, uh, or Apple, uh, what, it's not, it's Apple podcast, um, but it's on every website. And then we also have our show that airs every Saturday um, and along typically with client or, or excuse me, other other interviews we do with other money managers and people in the industry. So if you want to get all that, just subscribe to Know Your Risk Radio podcast and It's all yours at the beautiful cost of no dollars. So you can even, yeah, even the subscription is free. (laughs) We're just handing out deals right now. Anyway, have a wonderful night. We'll, of course, be back tomorrow. You're listening to the Know Your Risk Radio podcast, Daily Dots. Download and subscribe to knowyourriskradio.com.